Yo. Are now. About to witness. The awesome. A crushing. Might. Of the. You. S. Robinson. Show. Stop To round number one, one, seven. This is the UGS Robinson Show Stopper. I'm your host, UGS Robinson. I will explain the eyewear to you in a second. But first, let Bob Wiley from Stigmata sing us in as he has every day, every week since 2007. The band is called Stigmata. The song is called Intro, All of Nothing. And the record is called Calling of the Just. Still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California, where they see the death in a nightclub and hit your car with a hammer. I discovered there on Instagram at Revelation Records. Already on the internet. Get on that little uh, magnifying glass, type in Calling of the Just. And the only reason I say that one is because they have other records out, but this is the one that I put out. That's why I use it as bumper music, mostly because I own the rights to it. Let's let him sing us in. I can't use I'm on my way back to nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hold on. But I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. Being paid back and forth. Oh, nothing. All right, my friends. Okay, first of all, I need to explain the eyewear. I'm not going to wear it the whole show, but I want to show you the world that I've been living in for the past couple of days. I got something. Uh, I, I've had problems with this eye for some reason. And uh, at one point, I got a, a seed. This is going to sound strange, but it's what happened. I got a seed under my eyelid. And of course, if you try to flush stuff out of your eye, you discover that it's hard to flush down. You know, your tear ducts are here. It's hard to flush down. Inevitably, you end up jamming it further up uh, uh, under your eyelid. I got something jammed up. I believe it was a cat hair. There's some internal house dispute about whether it actually was a cat hair or not. Something was lodged under there. I'm using eye cups. I'm using everything to wash it up, wash it away. I feel it go further up. And then what starts to happen is I try to lift the lid and to get it out, it starts to abrade the cornea. So pretty soon I can't see anything out of this eye and my body is having an allergic response to it. So I'm trying to drive around because I'm trying to avoid going to the hospital like, like you would avoid death. It's the belly of the beast. I don't want to be there. Had to go to the hospital fundamentally. They gave me some eye deadener. They rolled up my eyelids and they 
scraped everything off. So my eyes have been a little sensitive since then. So that's why I've been wearing these all day. Uh, running, I ran with these because of the light and the wind. So then I got kind of reverse raccoon eyes. And um, and, and I want you to, um, I, I've been walking around all day looking like this. This is instructive for later. That's why I'm wearing the glasses now. Take a mental picture, hold on to it. This is what I look like for the past two days outside, except when I was climbing on the roof of the house, trying to fix the shade scale, shade sale. And for some reason, wanted to be able to see because I was hanging over the edge of the house with a Makita to try to get it in and not fall off the roof. So then I took this and then the wind and the gravel fucked up the eye again. So that's why I'm wearing this. I will take them off. I will take them off now unless it gets too bright. Uh, yeah, you can see, look at the eye. It's like all fucked up, right? So uh, that tells you more than you need to know. <laughs> yeah, that, that tells you really more than you need to know. Commercials. Uh, Pinko95014 at yahoo.com if you want to PayPal, if, it's in, if you got it in you. Uh, Patreon.com slash the stomper. Uh, but let's get into it. You got commercials. <clears throat> exactly. You got the commercials. And I did something unusual for this show. I think if I got my shit straight, I pulled out links so that when I mentioned something, which I think I'm about to going to mention, um, I, I can put the links in, in the chat and you guys can, uh, can see what I'm talking about. So some things have happened this past week that you may or may not know about. I don't I don't know if you follow me on Twitter at UG, the at symbol Eugene S. Robinson or, or follow me on Instagram, uh, uh, Mr. Sleep, the number three on Instagram. But I, I gatekeep, I gatekeep, um, I gatekeep uh, 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 Instagram because it's, a, it's, you know, not everything has to be open. I, I'm not a zero secret guy. That's why I sort of have a hard time with uh, you know, Chelsea Manning and, you know, not everything is meant for everybody. And this comes from me, the Metallica in me, like file sharing, that whole, my whole weirdness about, nah, it didn't disappear. We'll get into that. We'll get into that later. Um, as a journalist, as a member of the media, I got to defend the media. You know, if this house burns down, I got to start covering this house. If the house next door starts to burn down, I have to leave this house and cover this house. And I could just tell you about my work workload, what has happened with me and what I have to do, right? In two weeks, when everybody from the protest gets sick and the death toll starts to climb again, above the 104,000 it was Thursday when I interviewed a pretty famous doctor about it, then media will run back to this house. So uh, <laughs> your father fell off the roof. Well, you know, the funny thing about falling off the roof was my father fell off of a ladder while cleaning the gutters back one of the few conversations we had uh, after I turned 19 and he disowned me. And I laughed my ass off, made fun of him for falling off the roof. So as I'm on the roof, the only thought I could have in my mind was, please don't fall off this fucking roof because it will be divine justice for having mocked the old, old man for falling off the roof 20 years, 30 years earlier. But that's not the point. The point is, uh, um, so uh, Mr. Sleep 3... I, some of you have sent me uh, 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 invites, Mr. Sleep 3, and I go, oh, my God, this person has listened to Knuckle Up for years. Now they're on Show Stomper. Of course they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay to let in. You know, it's, uh, 
you know, not everything's for everybody. I like to hold a little something back. Sometimes I'll copy to Twitter the stuff I put out on Instagram, and then sometimes I don't. So uh, last week, my daughters came by to visit. Two or two of my daughters came by to visit. And, uh, it, it, you know, we're outside, uh, you know. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mine was in Maryland. My old man was in Maryland. So um, they came by to hang out, social distancing outside. I used to go from, I'm now with this, this freaking pandemic, I used to go from seeing my kids two or three times a week. Now I see them like two times every two weeks. It's kind of a drag. I love seeing my kids. So they come and they like talking and then eventually they start going, well, wait, 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 where are you going? And they said, well, we're, we're going to go to a protest. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, um, no, 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 your story, your story is going to run. Um, but like I said, we've all had to run to this fire. That's why last week I wrote five articles. And this next week, I got to write like four more articles. Believe me, I would much rather run your piece, Genghis, than, than, than to, to have to write four articles next week. It's a, I'm not going to complain. I'm just noting. Let me get to the story. So um, they say, you're going to go to person. Oh, my God. That's a fa the father in me. I'm like, you know, I know the kid in Austin who just stand there watching shit and gets hit with a beanbag in the head. Now the kid, his frontal lobe is destroyed. And he's in the hospital. Yeah, his family get a huge load of jack. But that's, that's not the point. You know, uh, uh, Kasha's got a, uh, somebody that she knows who got hit in the eye. They were just standing there with a placard, got hit in the eye with a rubber bullet. Photographer woman lost her eye. You know, I don't, I don't need any, I don't need any non-identifiable perpetrator accident. If it's, if it's an identifiable perpetrator, I can dedicate my life to tracking this person down and doing them damage. But if it's just a non-specific crowd accident, who are you gonna who are you gonna blame? The situation, the process, the system. So my kids are like, we gotta do something. We gotta do something. So I'm nervous. I'm a nervous wreck, but I'm a proud father. You know, they get they exercise their First Amendment rights as Americans and good citizens, and they went to San Francisco and participated in in, in a protest. And they've done it for four four or five days since then. But so far, knock on knock on stuff that's wooden. So so good. Um, they did say that in one instance they were standing there, just standing there. And um, at one point, a, a cop starts running to them top speed, and they figure, oh, shit, they're, they're chasing somebody behind us. And so they, they kind of make room for the cop. The cop trips and falls, and when they look at the cop trip and fall, they see that nobody was behind them, and the cop was just trying to, to bull rush them. My daughters are like five foot six, right? Yeah, they're state wrestling champs, but they look like teenage girls. That's who th this guy chose to run at. And they all just start kind of laughing at him and walk away. If it had been any other place but San Francisco, maybe Philly, they'd have been beaten. I don't want to have to be that dad who shows up in court with a sad clown face. Don't want that to be me. But, you know, they say, okay, you gotta, your kids, you got to do. I would rather see them that, do that than do nothing. I'd rather see them do that than sit around the house and get overweight and play video games. I would rather see them engage and not engage. All right. So uh, they said, at some point, they said, Dad, have you ever been to a demonstration? Have you I said, no, I've got bitter feelings about demonstrations. Why, why, why? Better I said, well, my first birthday, my father missed because, I, of course, I don't remember this, but I know for a fact because he went to Washington, D.C. to hear Martin Luther King's speech. I have a dream speech. He wanted to be there. 
instead of at my my one-year-old birthday party. I don't remember. I don't care. But it tells you everything you need to know about our relationship. I got tricked into going to a demonstration, which I've talked about on the past shows. So last week, last week I do this show, and I do two things. After the show, I put up a picture of my daughters. They both have Black Lives Matter T-shirts on, and they're standing on some some kind of monument, San Francisco Civic Center. And I post it, and I, I post it complete with my I'm worried, you know, but I you know these are engaged kids, smart kids, they're good kids, exercising their First Amendment right. And and one of yous, one of yous, because I'm I'm guessing your number is one less now. Um, pipes in with, you know, all lives matter, which somebody said, you know, that's like going to somebody's funeral where somebody's kid has died and they're crying about their kid and trying to talk in the eulogy about how much that kid mattered to them. And somebody kind of raises their hand and goes, yeah, you know what? Yeah. You know, but all kids matter. And, uh, and, and I don't delete anybody from my pay. You have to really, you have to really offend my sensibilities, which is really difficult. As many of you know, we, many of you who listen, we started out kind of as enemies and then you end up, you, you, you end up, uh, um, we're going to get to the cops too. You end up, in, in, we end up in a good place because, you know, harsh words, we should, you should be able to, smart people should be able to ex- exchange harsh words without it devolving into, you know, frustration and a- acrimony and, and ad hominem attacks, right? So want to use pipes in with all lives matter. I don't say anything. I'm not an opinion I share, you know. I'm not a humanist. The best of occasions, I'm not, right? So, uh, uh, and uh, so Aaron Turner from the band ISIS and now the band Sumac comments, gets in there. This is on Instagram and says, fuck off with all that stuff. And I see Aaron's comment. Aaron's a pretty, pretty, pretty peaceful, mild-mannered guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's responding to and, and it picks up steam, like just like the last show. Um, yeah, just like the nice to have you back. So, um, you know, just like I talked about in the last show, people get into these like, you know, cat sees a mouse, cat chases the mouse. So now everybody's involved in this Internet fight. And uh, and uh, and I just say, oh, OK, Let, let's return this to the realm of ideas. And say, you know, if uh, the, the woman says, you know, I'm half Mexican, I'm half Native American, and this is what I believe, that all, how, how come this the exclusive focus on, on, on black folks? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, when you have four uh, uh, Mexican cops or Native American cops, uh, four sitting on the body of a handcuffed and prone uh, 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 white guy, um, I'll be glad to 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 change, but right now my focus is the fire in this house, not the fire in that house, right? And um, which is pretty normal. But then people start running in, like like in the mosh pit for a kick, uh, a free for all, and you know, say ah, you're a dummy, and then she responds in kind, and and I'm I'm trying to keep it away from at home and them attacks. Um, you know, try to get keep it away from at home and them attacks, and um, and I'm like, Jesus, like, well, you're just only willing to see what, you, and then she, by the blood in the water, you know, like you try to break up a dog fight and the dog bites you, and then she attacks me, and she says, you know, why don't you stick? You're you're seriously mentally disturbed. 
why don't you stick to talking about Hitler and and your you know your pole dancing Polish white and at that point I think it was actually during if the shoes fit that we did it and I'm on, and I'm here and Kasha is sitting like six feet over here and uh, I see her get on the on the Twitter and I'm like oh. and keep in mind like I told you on an old show my wife I back the play hundred percent of the time that's it. Right or wrong, I back her play 100% of the time. So the wife gets in there and she's like, listen, you narrow-minded cunt. And she doesn't use that word lightly or inadvisedly. And she calls her out. And, uh, you know, after the show's over, I try to get in. I try to use the magic healing hands of calm. And I said, look, I don't, I don't, ever, I don't ever, you know, delete or defriend anybody unless you really cross the line. But you came into what was essentially a party and a tribute to my daughter's farting and if that you know so really your next move should be i'm not going to defend you but your next move should should be informed by some serious thought about what exactly you are hoping to generate here other than a fight you run into a bar and say i can kick the asses of all you homos in here and it's a gay bar you might actually get a, a fist fight right that's what you get well i was assaulted no 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 you weren't assaulted. You got what you came for. So the next day I go back and she's gone. Um, and, and parallel to this, which some of you have seen on show 116, a guy in the comments says to me, and I'll, and I'll, read, I'll read it to you. Um, and, and maybe you've seen it. Maybe I can actually do the show without choking to death. It's something that's stuck in my throat. Um, hold on a second. Here we go. And, uh, um, oh, this is going to be a little bit meta because you're going to hear a bit of the show before I can, I can pause it a uh, last week's show on this show. No, I paused it already. So it stopped. So the guy says, and I'm going to read it for those of you who didn't read the comments. You think it's class fueled because your life is ethnically at first he put ethically, which he would have been correct. Ethnically, culturally isolated. You're, you're completely disconnected from the black community. You had this platform for how long? And all you ever said about race uh, topics is that it bored you. Stick to movie night with Karen and bring it up Nazis and Hitler every chance you get. Right? Which, under normal circumstances, I just laugh. So I write back, ethically or ethnically? And I say, I lived in black neighbors for 48 of my 57 years on this planet, and it's not my fault you suck at nuance and understanding what I meant when I said that America's take on race, America's take on race is boring. So when you get a chance, could you please feel free to listen to what, I, what I've said with your ears the next time around? But then the Karen thing got me. And for talking about my wife, I add a comment, you can go fuck yourself with a naughty stick. Let me tell you, I'm not easily manipulated. And I'm not easily offended. But I can tell you, and the DA can play this fucking tape in court. I got a good sense of humor about a lot, but not about my kids, not about my wife. Honest to God, bro. Honest to God. Save it, record it, play it. It's a good way to get hurt. Other than that, I'm glad to discuss anything. And you'll know I don't go there with yous. Yeah, I might talk about your mother, <laughs> but that's because moms typically love me. 
<laughs> and I don't mean any harm by that. Fathers don't like me so much. Moms have typically loved me. So let's talk about let's talk about race in America. And I interviewed I interviewed some cops this week because I was interested in their take as well. And their take was pretty compelling. And naturally, I've got to write an article about this week. So I'm not going to tilt too much, uh, uh, you know, reveal too much of it because it'll become an article this week. And if you follow me at Eugene S. Robinson uh, on on the Twitter machine, uh, you'll know. So let me let me go back a little bit. And I just show my go a little bit over, but I'm hoping that you stick with me. So my first, I, I was born in, in Jamaica, Queens. And uh, uh, um, my first memory was of going to a woman named Dr. Allen. Some of my first memories were connected to uh, Dr. Allen. So I grew up in, in Jamaica, Queens. Dr. Allen was one of my first memories. We lived in my aunt's. My aunt had a house. Uh, in Jamaica, Queens, a three-story house, and they rented the apartment upstairs. Dr. Allen was my doctor. I have no idea how old Dr. Allen was. I was a child. She seemed like an old lady to me. She's an African-American doctor. As soon as I got older, I went to a daycare at a woman named Mrs. Faye's, first this woman in Indy's house and Mrs. Faye's house. Uh, the driver who got me there was a guy named Tony. Right. Um, my mother, and I'm going to put the link up. My mother uh, had me stay at Indy's house um, when um, when she had stuff to do. And at one point, Indy said, "Ask my mother." And I'm going to put the article up here so you can read it. Asked my mother. My mother came home with a a work friend had dropped her off, and Indy looked out and said. Who is that white man with your mother? And my mother picked me up as indicated in the story. And she said, I seem kind of quiet and kind of pensive. And she said, you know, you didn't know what that meant. You, you, you didn't know what that, you didn't know what that meant. You, the white you knew was the color of paper that you drew on. You didn't know because I didn't raise you that way. The whole idea of, you know, the deification of, of, of whiteness was not part of my or my family's primary story. So she never took me back to Indies. And I don't know if she ever explained to Indies. She goes, they weren't bad people, good people, entrepreneurs, well-meaning. This is a black neighborhood in which you had stockbrokers, bankers, school teachers, construction workers. My Dr. Allen was a black doctor. So you have to understand that growing up in New York in the 60s, uh, then we moved to New Rochelle, a black neighborhood, largely black and Italian, because the rich folks in Westchester had to have their servants and drivers, right, nearby. So my great-grandmother lived in New Rochelle, and I went there. My best friend was Louis DeLuca in, in, uh, in, in kindergarten. But the neighborhood, the entire block, African-American. But all the rights, factory workers, my grandfather himself was a, was a custodian at the local fact, at the uh, medical supply factory that was nearby. I wrote a story about that as well, uh, because one of the first American mass murderers uh, uh, was uh, right across the freeway. Muscle guy with swastika tattoos shot a, bu a bunch of people at Nep Nep Neptune Trucking 
is what I believe the name of the place was. His name was Fred something. Like that. I wrote an article about that. I didn't make a link for that. So the America that I grew up in, though it was riven by riots in 68, though it was stomped on by the, the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, of, I don't remember JFK, I remember Robert Kennedy, and I remember Martin Luther King, and the tears and the upset. Mine was always, always a multi-class experience. There were no... Outside, the, the guy who drove my mother uh, uh, home from work, her co-worker. And then we lived in Elmhurst. It wasn't until I moved to New Rochelle and went to kindergarten at the age of four or five years old that I was ever interacting with, with, with white people. And I got to tell you, honestly, at that point in time, all of the, all of the patterning had been done so they were just people to me people. So um, we lived we, we lived for about a year in Cobble Hill, experiences of which made it into a long, slow screw. My novel is a heavily Irish and Italian neighborhood. Some of my best friends were the, Doug, uh, 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 the Deegan boys from over on Douglas Street. Three guys. And then my friend Vinny, Vinny around the corner and Paulie, who was slightly developmentally disabled, that was the first house that I'd ever been in where I saw the father beat up the mother. The father's beating up the mother in the kitchen and I look at Pauly and Teresa and, 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 and Vinny and I'm like, and they were just watching TV like it was normal. So I just relaxed and it was normal. Hippies all over the neighborhood. We used to go by the hippies house. They'd be smoking weed. I think I was six years old on Cobble Hill, seven maybe. And our landlord was uh, uh, Lewis, Mumford's, Lewis Mumford's daughter. I remember these weird fun facts. We got out of there, moved to Crown Heights. Crown Heights. We lived at Crown Heights, mostly Haitians, West Indians, and Hasidic Jews. And we moved from Crown Heights to, to uh, Flatbush, where for the first time in my life, I was ever called a nigger. I was called a nigger by a black Panamanian woman. <laughs> the crime was apparently running down the sidewalk screaming. Oh, I've not read The Willow Tree. I met Selby, but I've only read, of course, his last exit to Brooklyn and I think one other book. So, <laughs> and I stopped and I laughed at her. I laughed in her face. I said, you're black too. And I continued on doing what I'm doing. That was the first time that it was sort of this bifurcation for me between how West Indians view the world. And Panamania is technically not West Indies, but you know what I mean. And that African-Americans, we were somehow different, different breeds, different mindsets. The second time, it was a guy named Tommy Smallwood. Now, when I go down to Maryland, uh, my father lived in Kensington. And uh, he lived in, I would only be down there for a month in the summertime. He lived in a neighborhood that was actually all hippies, but they were all white. 
And Tommy Smallwood actually called me. I don't know. We were standing alone in the woods. And I, he wanted me to do something. I was ignoring him. I, I didn't want to play with him. I was doing something else. And he threw a basketball at my head as hard as he could and called me a nigger and ran. And then I, I got him and tried to kill him. His father came to my father later that day and said, hey, you know, uh, you know, our sons keep getting mixing up. You know, Tommy would do it to get attention. He would go on attention for me. Then he would run home and get attention from his parents. He walks down. And I'm standing next to my father going, oh, I'm going to I'm in trouble now. And my father and he says to my father, you know, um, we, this these kids, we got to do something about these kids with all this fighting. And my father just stopped and looked at him and goes, hmm, let him have his, his say. And then my father stopped and said, so in other words, it's my problem that your son is a sissy? Oh, that's my father. That's my father. The professor. So when I was 13, I got uh, moved on from the Montessori Academy, the private school that my mother talks about. Oh, I'm going to post another link. Yeah, I, that my mother talks about here when she talks about across the race divide. I'm going to post it for you so you can read it at your leisure. All right. And, but there were no good junior high schools in my area. So I had to go to this place called St. Stephen's where there was one white kid in, in the whole school. Everybody else was black. The neighborhood was black. All the teachers were all white. I was there a year before I went to Stuyvesant High School, which my high school, I think at that time, was probably 68% Asian, 10% uh, African-American, you know, 9% uh, uh, yeah, Latino, and then the rest of the white folks. But you have to take a test to get in. You could be smart. Like my best friend in high school, Mark Pishko, you could be smart and the son of a window washer, which he was, or you could be smart and the son of a judge and a lawyer, which my friend Doug, uh, Doug was. Class diversity has been a constant and continual factor of my life. And I didn't realize how rare that was until I get to California. Didn't have any problems with cops in New York. Oh, I'm sorry. There, Tommy Smallwood was the second time. The third time was in this story. And, and keep in mind, I was friends, uh, uh, and I don't have a link for this story. I was friends with a guy whose father was the head of the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan when I was down in Maryland, David Eford. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> he never called me a nigger. The third time is connected to this link right now that I just shared. So I think the headline is, is it, is it a riot if it's just four of us? And that's how I ended up coming out to Stanford with my earlobes sticking out like this, my blood caked to my face, and permanent damage to my ear. It's been stitched back, fucked up, so I can't put earbuds in this ear. It's always getting infected, and I've got problems with it to this day after I got hit with a broken bottle on the side of the ear. But uh, I talk about it in the article. I'm not going to recount it here. But I came to California, and I noticed that California black folks were the strangest black folks that I had ever met. And I spent time in Boston. I spent time, in, before I got to California, spent time in Maryland. I spent time in the Bahamas, Barbados, 
I spent time, where else had I spent time before I came out here? Uh, Massachusetts, not Boston as well as, you know, coming to all over. East Coast cities have a good, goodly amount, despite the fight that I talk about where I get waylaid by these three guys. Now in Bay Ridge, New York had its tribalism and its neighborhoods, but generally when you got on the subway, all bets were fucking off. You got to sit next to whoever. Different stops, different people would get on, but that was the nature of the beast. So I get to California and I'm exposed to one, cops who suddenly give a shit about who I am. Oh, yeah, no problem. Right now, postal address. I saw it, it came across on the phone. You want to send me something? Uh, yeah, speaking of Tommy LB, thank you. Got your latest missive. Uh, uh, put put it there. That's the address. Don't send me anything fucking creepy, or you get creepy stuff back. Believe me, used condoms got to go somewhere, buddy. Uh, so, um, so, um, with the strangest, strangest black folks I'd ever met, and, and the black cats that I, that I knew at Stanford who were like, hey, like in the master's program, who had gone to Howard University who are from other parts or from Chicago, from other parts of America, they confirmed for me that this was the case. Well, why? Because geographically, the way California is set up, it's a kind of weird balkanization where you do not have, you do not have, um, I don't know where the black middle class is. Because my mother told me at the time, she goes, look, I want you to get the best house you can get in the worst neighborhood, which means you will spend the least for the best and you can deal with the worst neighborhood. So I moved to the murder capital of America. In 1987, it was the murder capital of America. I took the money from Leonard Part 6 and I bought a house about six blocks away from where I am now. Crack epidemic had struck. 60 people were shot to death in the space of a year. It was the best house in the worst neighborhood I could find. Now, eventually, eventually, we moved out. Bought a couple of houses here, but then moved out to Palo Alto, which is largely predominantly white. At this point now, mostly predominantly Asian. But there is no, there is no black middle class here. So when I show up at Stanford, the big reason for the disconnect had to do with the fact that most of the people who, who I was now going to college with had never met somebody like me prior to them going to college with it, with, with them. If you go to schools exclusively in this neighborhood, you will never encounter people who go to schools exclusively in that neighborhood unless you play sports and that's on a field or at a pool or something at a track for an hour once a week. And the cops are no different. Now, the cop I interviewed today said... The problem didn't start with the police, and the solution will not belong to the police. Exactly. Exactly. The guys I was friends with from Chicago were all from Mississippi, which is very different, as well as the West Indian influence in New York City. If you don't know this, West Indians... West Indians always assume I'm a West Indian. Why? 
because I've taken no excuse for non-performance. Right? I told my kids, I go, you know the best thing of all, if you and I have a foot race, the best thing of all is if I could convince you not to race me to begin with. Like that story I told you about my roommate when he's talking about going out on the dates. Ah, you, you probably you won't get it up. You can't get it up. You probably won't get it up. You're never going to get it up. But if you get it up, well, you're probably going to come to it. Oh, boy, come to it. How do you bounce back from that embarrassment? You would drill down and hammer at you. So actually, when you headed out on the date, you were kind of shaky, kind of shaky. You had to work. You had to get your head right. Stay on top of your feet. Now, I convince you not to run. I win that race. I win it. Now, somebody once said, they, in, a, in trying to address the unspoken argument of all that shit that happened with you black folks, that happened so long ago. Which I, and I said, okay, let's, let's talk. About, this is the cop why interview. I said, let's talk for a second about Haiti. He goes, yeah, Haiti is fucked up. Haiti that shares an island with the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic is not great, but it's not fucked up. It's a vacation destination. Nobody goes to Haiti for vacation. And I said, you know, I asked a Haiti expert, somebody from the U.N., and I was like, could you explain Haiti to me? And they said, easily. There's a slave rebellion. They kick out the French. Once again, under every rock, the French. I got French in my family, so I can say that. Perrineau is a maternal last name from the 1860s and 70s. All right. So they kick out the French, get their shit together, start organizing. And then they say, okay, okay. The French get fine. You want to, you know, you want to do business with us. We're glad to do business. Fine. Yeah, we got you. But, you know, you got to, we have to be remunerated for our losses. God, okay, well, what do you want? Well, this is what it's going to cost. In other words, they had to pay. And once they kicked them out to be accepted in the international community, they had to pay off the French. Which they did. It took them like 120, some amazingly long period of time. I don't have a calendar in front. And as soon as they paid it off, the U.S. aided and abetted the emplacement of Papa Doc Duvalier. Gave him huge loan guarantees, which he immediately misappropriated, plunging the country into deeper poverty. The people finally get rid of Papa Doc Duvalier. And who is he replaced with? Baby Doc Duvalier, who continues the family tradition of grift and graft. Yep. Yep. Good, good, good call. Thanks for, thanks for that. They finally get rid of him, put Aristide in there, and then he's hustled out. He's hustled out. Uh, he's hustled out of there uh, by, by the U.S. government. And then the earthquake in Haiti is fucked. We have just telescoped from like the 1700s to 2020. Now, if I could convince black folks that the, the failure of Haiti is a congenital issue, like Hitler once said, you know, it's like a nation run by Negroes, as though that were a bad thing. Uh, and then sometimes somebody wanted me to write an article to uh, this, run an article about Liberia, like Liberia. Oh, another failed experiment was started by American slaves. Look, if I could convince you not to run, I win that race every time. The fact of the matter is we telescope. 300 years like that. So Eugene, you still look, don't tell me my grandmother's grandfather was a sharecropper in the 1860s. 
She said, I loved him dearly. He, he was one of the first people that he showed me a photograph of him, probably from the 1880s and 90s. Looks exactly like me. Happy guy. Overall, he's got a, got a shovel digging. We didn't hear too much about the slave history. We heard about the Native Americans that were involved. That's why I was interested to do a 23andMe. Find out I only got 2% left of the Native American thing in me. And about the same of the French at this point. So, so bad shit that happened, and you got to read quotes on this, bad shit that happened, you know, uh, resonates with the future quite easily. Redlining that happened, right, which prevents you from owning high-value real estate property and bolstering your schools, happens. It's a real thing. However... However, however, I can get something in my eye. My eye looks so sick. It's weird. I, I can't stand it. I'm going to start wearing an eye patch like Slick Rick. But the reality of it is what we can, we conflate, we conflate race stands alone and it ends up being this macro issue, like I said in the last show, but it's, it's, it's really class. The persistent, none of you who, who are white working class people from white working class backgrounds, you and you grew up in white working class neighborhoods, know there was that white house on the family that your family wanted you to stay away from. I know this because when I went down for the month in the summer to my father's very middle class hippie neighborhood, there was a white family who had a trailer on their lot and a broken car on the front lawn, Donnie, and nobody wanted to be Donnie's friend. I used to like to go to Donnie's. I liked it because there was a certain element of chaos to it and it was exciting for me. But I realize now that that's what you would call white trash and nobody else in the neighborhood liked Donnie and Donnie knew it. And that was the first place where I smelled that indefinable sense of poverty. And I got to tell you, from culture to culture, poverty always smells the same. Nobody whose father worked for the U.S. Geological Survey, my friend Andy, whose father worked for the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, the, the mother who's a musical director at, at, uh, with a big classical music thing down there in D.C., Wolf, I can't remember the name. Nobody wanted their kids to play with Don. Nobody would dare call it racial because they were all white people choosing to ostracize a white person, but this was class. And insofar as in places other than New York, you do not have equal class representation, it's easy just to say, I saw 10,000 guys with red sweaters who happened to be poor and stole my kids' lunch money. I want to move out of the neighborhood where guys in red sweaters steal my kids' lunch money. So lest you think I'm ducking the topic of race, I'm trying to be very honest and very direct about what's really happening. These issues, uh, like, like John Travolta sang in Greece, shamalama, lamalama, ding dong, they go together. So I show up, I show up to Stanford, um, I show up for, to Stanford, a, a middle class, middle class. Do you realize every single woman that went out with me and dumped me uh, all came back like 20 years later? expressing a very similar sentiment, and that sentiment was like, well, I didn't see that coming. What? You didn't see that a middle-class kid 
will have middle class, middle class aspirations and fundamentally live a middle class life as it's played out with a house and the two cars and the kids. You didn't see that? <laughs> UG claims to fight corruption, but he makes exceptions for his friends. <laughs> ah, oh, oh, you know who that is? I was wondering where you were, man. You know, that's Blevin Flipmunk. You know, I had my suspicions about who you were. I, I actually thought that you were Brian Schwartz for a, for a second. <laughs> well, if it's, if it's any consolation for you, bro, if it's any consolation... Those guys are no longer my friends. <laughs> if that makes you happy, they will no longer speak to me. <laughs> so you, you you achieve something, you know. Blevin, everybody, Blevin Flipmunk is back now as Dude Man. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> Why would I block you? Why would I block you? You know? I got you. You should know that the CBS attorney, who's the call I have, I've been meaning to publish it, the call I have with him talking about it, we spent like eight tenths of that conversation talking about you. They're actually looking for you, dude, man. So <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> uh, you know, I love it. I'm not going to block you. We're talking about race. You're still on this old story. You know, you're like somebody I dated in high school. So anyway, um, <laughs> dude, no, CBS is, they're hot. They're hot. They're actually hot. Cat was hot and not, not fucking around. And they've actually said, oh, I block you because you're a fucking moron. <laughs> this is the only attention you got. You're like Boston Market. Exactly. You love me too much. You're a sexy man, dude, man. You're, why don't you face the facts that we're the only friends you have? I mean, I'm actually, I was actually thinking about inviting you in because we're going to start doing uh, a call-in show. Uh, it, Alexi is helping me. <laughs> he, Alexi is helping me uh, uh, figure out Ecamm so we can have you on. So you can tell people I'm a coward. Oh, I'm a coward. I'm scared. We're scared. Woo. Why don't you post it again? Post it again. And then send a copy to the lawyer at CBS after you post it. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh boy, oh, boy. I'd like to see that. I, I, I'd like to. Whenever there's a big guy pushing around, with a big guy like CBS pushing around a little guy. Mm. Uh, well, I, I, you know what? I don't want to hurt my friends. So you got that part right. You got that part right. And uh, like I told everybody, I record everything. I record everything. So I got it all recorded, you know, got it all recorded. But it's a hard business and I don't want to hurt my friends. But why don't you send the, what, send the one you backed up, send it to the lawyer. In actual fact, DM me and I'll give you the lawyer's email. Or I guess you already have it. So you can send it to the lawyer. Anyway, I'm going to get back to talking about race. While, uh, while, while Flipmunk uh, 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 talks about other stuff. Mm. I, I, I admit that I'm inviting you to juggle my nuts. Not one, but actually both of my nuts in, in your mouth. <laughs> you could juggle them 
one at a time or you could juggle them together, dude, man. So anyway, <laughs> these comments are saved in the video now. Oh, ooh, ooh. I've said nothing except inviting you to juggle my nuts. And that is actionable in a court of law. Play that in, law, in the, in the law, law court. So anyway, so they had never seen, you know, Ebby, these women who would dump me, they had, <laughs> okay, so I don't have any integrity. And? And? And what? And what? <laughs> and what? You're at home in a tax. What, what could you say to me? What could you say to me that's going to have a possible effect? Nothing. Well, you know, I got some friends here, and they got nuts too. And they would also be glad to. to I'm sure Javier would be glad to have his nuts in your mouth as well. <laughs> you're, you're sad. I would actually give you a segment during this. I listen, honest to God, man. I don't. I'm not, I'm not posing as somebody who fights corruption. I give a shit about that. I always say, if there's a big man pushing around, little man, let me know. If somebody's a take, you cut me in on the take. I'm glad to be part of the take. Somebody like the Japanese woman who asked me about, oh, did you never sell out? I go, if somebody wants to pay a million dollars to use Oxbow music in a Tide commercial, I'm there. But I tell you, dude, man, honest to God, I'm serious. I will give you a segment on the show, every show if you'd like, uh, a counterpoint, uninterrupted from me. I'll give you, let's see, what, what, what could you do with a minute? 60 seconds. 60 seconds on this show, every show, and you can plead your case. Alexi's helping me figure out Ecamm. Would you like that? Would you like that? DM me if so. You don't have to reveal your real name. Not my business who you are. <laughs> Grapes around. So, so back to the race thing. So I, I suddenly am in a, in a place where now I'm being held apart in, 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 in a really weird way. And for the first time, I'm having cop interactions. No, nobody's done worse than the bald one. And you could, <laughs> you could print and wrap that, buddy. Please, please. And what about the allegations about Bjorn Rebney? Hey, maybe Dude Man's Bjorn Rebney. One of his fighters ended up finding his dog with a knife in the head. Guy felt strong that maybe Bjorn did. I can't imagine Bjorn sneaking around some guy's house stabbing his dog in the head. But what does it take? Who knows? Anyway, so I'm being, I'm, I'm having interactions with, 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 um, no, no, I'm, I'm back to it. I'm back talking about race. I'm having interactions with cops that are unlike interactions I've ever had with cops. Ever. It was like the cops wanted me. Suddenly I show up in California and I become a certain, you know, criminal celebrity. The cops wanted me to know they were there. Moreover, not just the cops. Not just the cops. I show up at a, at a party at Toyon Hall. A guy named Kendall Jackson comes up to me and says, hey, how you doing? I go, fine. Great. He goes, hey, you know, this party is, uh, is uh, for freshmen. I go, oh, yeah, cool, cool. And he goes, freshman Stanford students. I go, yeah, yeah, I got you. And he goes, you have to be a Stanford student to be here. I go, yeah, I heard you. 
And now the New Yorker in me, which is much more abrasive in 1980 than now, the New Yorker in me, I stop and I turn, I face him dead on. I'm 18. I said, I heard you the first three times you said what you said. What are you saying? He said, well, you actually have to be a Stanford student and a freshman to be here. And I go, and yet I'm here. Now, what are the reasons I could be here? And the guy says, well, listen, I'm just saying, I, I, I said, man, I want you to go fuck yourself. And I go back to my friends were shocked because they were 18 years old and weren't talking to adults that way. I was a New Yorker. Kendall Jackson, by the by, was black, a light skinned black guy. Was assuming that I wasn't a freshman, that I wasn't a Stanford student, wanted me to get the fuck out of his party. My attitude is, you want me out of the party? Remove me. All of a sudden, I'm getting stopped by the cops. Cops pull up. Hey, can I see some ID? I go, for what? Just your driver's license. I go, does it look like, does it look like I'm operating a vehicle? I don't need a license to operate my feet. And all of a sudden, we have this situation like the Black Flag song. Understand it. We're fighting a war. As a fighting war, we can't win. They hate us. We hate them. That's it. That's it. Suddenly, suddenly, I'm, I'm at contratops. I'm at loggerheads with cops for reasons that are inescapable to me. Now, I interview a cop this week, and the cop says, listen, you have it. You have it. You, you've neglected to say that crime is a dirty business. Crime is a dirty business. You know, we have POST, police officer standards and training in California. Cops probably who are Philly cops, New York cops, probably couldn't be cops in California. Standards and training a little bit different, a little bit more rigid, a little bit more by the book. I, didn't, I, I later on doubled back and asked him, is this since 1992? Because as you remember, it, you know, as you remember, it, uh, what was it, April 29th, 1992, was, was um, uh, the Rodney King riots. Look at dude, man. He says, Eugene wife is a hoe. You know, I don't have to put your comments in there. <laughs> You're a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> you just want me to delete you. I'm going to make you listen to the whole rest of the show, and I'm going to go longer because you wasted my time. So you're going to have to listen to the rest of the show. You can leave all the fucking shitty comments you want, and I just hide them all. I don't have to even pay attention. Just automatically ask me if you want to be allowed in. I'm not going to delete you. So anyway, uh, I'm getting stopped on the street. I'm, I'm getting stopped on the street. No, I can delete your comments. I won't. He's Yeah, it's sexy. Sexy. Scott Coker, I love. I've done articles on Scott Coker multiple times. Javier, I've been writing about since 1992. Love him too. Love Strike Force. As it is. So um, I'm getting stopped. I get stopped for there was rubber hanging from your car. We thought you were lost. Um, I don't think your, 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 your headlights are working. Click, click. They seem to be working. And I said, and, and finally, I, um, finally, I, finally I, I get this sense of I, got, I need to do something to make sense of this. 
Because see, now I'm not processing this as, as race, right? I'm not processing this as race, right? I, I mean, I understand there's some element of it that's racial, but typically when I open my mouth, I can see these cops kind of go, ah, ah. You know, I expected 50 cent and the gosh, just stop the bomb. Except for the one night when the guy says, can I see your license? I said, I'm walking. I have a license to walk. And the guy goes, what's your name? I said, I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to give you anything. Pulls out his nightstick, walks around the car, walks up to me. And, we, and I, I drop my book bag and I, I raise my hands and we're about to go at it. And so another cop pulls up, goes, what are you doing? Because that's Eugene, leave him alone. I had a very mixed feeling as to whether I was happy or not. That cop. I mean, of course, he knew me because he had stopped me before. But not only that, this was the guy who loved me because this guy was an older Australian cop and he got, I probably had it up to here with being high-handed by the rich kids that he was sworn to protect. He didn't miss that this was a, this was a, 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 class, a class battle. Not at all, not in the slightest. Did not miss it. Got it very much. And he and I related to each other on a non-racial or transracial basis. But America's returning to the stinking, rotten corpse of this thing. The thing that the stinking, rotten corpse of this thing is, is, is an obsession that has caused me to write for the root that, that this obsession is killing. But after a certain point, whether or not you imagine there's a dead body buried in your backyard or there's really a dead body in your backyard, it, 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 it's immaterial. The fantasy and the reality have become the reality. So, so, uh, so you have, you have, this is my phone, which is actually right by the comments, dude, man. That one I looked at. <laughs> hey, let's take, let's take a vote. How many people want me to block dude, man, now? Uh, leave your comments in. <laughs> I'll leave it up to the rest of the group. Everybody can decide, much like an Oxbow show. Oh, you want me to shut them up? Block, block, uh, block, 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 block. Dude, man, you're sexy. Let's see. How about this? Goodbye. And he's gone. <laughs> and let's see. Let's go back to dude, man. And he's now, now he's gone. He's reported. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there we go. And uh, 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 and he is reported, and he is reported, and he's done. Done. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, this is this is a really great feature. And uh, uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. So uh, where was I? After he he wanted that, and what is that thing from Apocalypse Now? Where he says, uh, for, for my sins, I wanted a mission, and that's what they gave me. So that, that, that's what he got. Sexy dude, man. I offered him the show. I offered him time on the show. Great. 
And now he's going to have to come in and, and, and do something else. He, he's going to have to come in and, like, come into another name from Levin Flip Monk, and now he's something else. Uh, like, this is great. This is great. Uh, uh, it's, if I don't know if you can see what I'm doing right now. I'm just going to make the show go a little bit longer uh, because uh, because of this clown here. Mm. So, um, so all of a sudden, let's see. Uh, I'll do this too. Ooh, sorry, I'm about to choke. Um, so, um, all of a sudden, it takes a distinctly racial tone. But I'm not gonna confuse the dead body in the backyard, the reality, and the fantasy of the dead body in the backyard. I can't, I can't make it through my day doing that. And you, you know, you know what, what black folks typically do not do this. West Indians. If you're a Jamaican, Barbadian, Bahamian, uh, uh, Turks and Caicos, Anagata, um, I, I can name every single island in the, in, in the Caribbean. You, your, your antecedent outside of Haiti, your antecedent is somehow British. Why do they not have the same crippling emotional issues that African-Americans have? Because caste is acknowledged in the British system. Neil Brennan said recently, if you follow him on, on Instagram, Neil Brennan said he was hanging out with Trevor Noah and some of Trevor Noah's friends who were South African. And he said, hey, the vibe is so, you know, Trevor, uh, Neil Brennan is friends with Dave Chappelle. Hangs out. He goes, how come the, I'm hanging out with you and, and, and four or five Africans and I've hung out with Dave Chappelle and four or five of his friends and the vibe is so distinctly different. Like, why? Why? And Trevor Noah kind of thought for a second. It got quiet. He says, you understand that these cats grew up in South Africa under apartheid. They grew up under apartheid, which means that they grew up under a system that said, you are inferior. You cannot hold these jobs. You cannot live in these places. You cannot date these people. You can't do anything but bring me a fucking drink and shine my shoes. It's very clear cut. And they got rid of apartheid and, but there was still no mystery about how if you met somebody who was older in South Africa, exactly what was going on in their head and how it was going on. That's why. Neil Brennan segues into a story about hanging out at Eddie Murphy's house. He describes Eddie Murphy's house as a multi-million dollar mansion. And he says, they're standing there, standing around and they're talking. And on the TV comes up a TV show about the Al Jolson story. Now the Al Jolson story, Al Jolson was one of, if like I've talked about Al Jolson before. I got a very mixed sensation. Al Jolson understood that what he fundamentally was doing was a tribute to, to the African-American experience, but it, he was also one of the first people to donate to civil rights causes but it was also majorly insulting. That be as it may, Jolson is a historic footnote. People loved Al Jolson in the 20s or whatever. It was a different time. It was a very different time. But that's not what Eddie Murphy is talking about. Eddie Murphy is, is talking about the fact that in the living room of his multi-million dollar house, 
a living room of his multi-million dollar house on his big screen TV and all of the other, he goes, and Eddie Murphy just says to the room, he goes, why is this on? And Neil Brennan kind of was like, I just not my house. I didn't turn it on. So Neil Brennan was kind of saying, it's not. It, and then he realized that Eddie Murphy is not saying who turned this on. Eddie Murphy is not saying who turned this on. He's asking a macro question about why in, in the year 2015 is this on my fucking TV? It was a new movie about Al Jolson. Somebody sat at a meeting and decided we are going to, you know, it would be great if we could do a movie about Al Jolson. And so then Eddie Murphy kind of pauses for a bit. And I, now I'm maybe remembering this story wrong because I don't know if it actually came the Chappelle portion. And I think, I think it was Murphy still. He kind of paused and he said, he said sorrowfully, he said, you know, I know every ethnic group that's come to this country has had its troubles. But being black up in this bitch is like being in a twilight zone. And Brennan says that, you know, it made him, it made him, him, him very sad. Very sad to hear Murphy kind of, kind of, um, you know, uh, exp even after all he's achieved to, to express his uh, opinion. It's like being in a twilight zone. So then Brennan doubles back and says, the reality of it is, you know, it's like the old Abbott and Costello cartoons. That's my edition, not his. That when, when uh, uh, Lou Costello sees a guy turn into a wolf man and, uh, and, and Abbott can't see it. And he's like patting him on the shoulder. He goes, this is what black Americans are doing all the time. Black Americans are like, did you fucking see that? And they're being told by white Americans, nah, 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 that's not, you're just imagining things. In the same way that, that women are like, kind of like, do you hear what that guy said to me? It used to happen to me a lot, actually. Not weird racial stuff. Of course, with me, it was always weird sexual stuff. I'm on a date with some woman sitting at a restaurant, the waitress leans down to me and says in my ear, she goes, my, you have beautiful eyes. And then she, which maybe it's before my eyes start crapping out. And then she walks away and I look over because I assume my date is hurt. I go, do you hear what she said? And she goes, no. I go, she just told me I had beautiful eyes. And my date looked at me like, are you out of your fucking mind? But that's what she said. No, that's really, so it's this cognitive dissonance between the shit that happens and it's happened to me in California, I really have to, there's a coastal, there's a geographical distance. I don't have this experience in New York. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. It's a sexual and political. So, so Murphy, you know, is chagrined. And then um, uh, Chappelle is talking about conversations he's had with studio executives who are telling him, well, why don't, he says, why don't you cast two black guys in the lead? Are two two black leads in this movie, and the guys as well. We don't want double fudge in the movie, which is kind of funny. I mean, it came from Chappelle retelling the story, but this is how people are thinking. So the entire black community is trying to explain that the guy is turning into a werewolf, but the entire rest of the community is telling them there is no such thing as a werewolf. When or at women. When the guy puts his hand on your thigh, the cab driver puts his hand on your thigh, he was just being friendly. The systematic denial of the reality of experience can be nettlesome.
and it can make you crazy. So I go back to the cop who I, who, who I interviewed, the friend, and he's a friend of mine, and he's a cop. And he says, the problem is not the police's, which is what I said last week's show. It's not the puppets. It's the hand that controls the puppet. And the solution is, 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 uh, 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 yeah, is, not, is not the police's. Or the police, sorry. Police's. It's like I'm talking like Bugs Bunny all of a sudden. The solution is somewhere else. And I'm going to read you some of what, what he wrote to me. Let, let's, uh, let's, because uh, I think it actually, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's maddening. But he says, and let me read it for you. Uh, are racist cops a problem? Sure. Are racist cops the problem? Nope. I wish they were. I wish police and policing was racist, systemically, inherently, systematically. That way it could be fixed and the problem would go away. Uh, but, and he starts talking about power brokers and so on. Um, his attitude is, is a little bit right of center of where I am. But fundamentally, we both have understood that cops are foot soldiers. They don't go anywhere but where people tell them to go. But somehow, some messages were transmitted once I got to California that had them stopping me because there was rubber hanging from your car. Your muffler is too short. I get stopped. They're expecting 50 cent. They get Obama. I'm not thinking race because I'm running a foot race and I'm not going to be convinced that I shouldn't run this race. I got places to go, got people to see. QTAT, quick time across town. So I'm not responding to them on a racial level. I'm not getting caught up in this Abbott Costello thing of trying to convince them that convince folks that there's a werewolf here. No, because from my point of view, I'm involved in the class story. Well, what's what's interesting when we talk about defunding the police, uh, he, he says he says he he describes something as the ba uh, the Baltimore effect. He goes, if you are two years away from retirement and you're a cop and you got a pension, you got a retirement account and you're two years away. You got to take a chance. Like when I was in San Francisco, my kid says when she was like seven, she says, Dad, look at that guy. He's running naked down the street. I look sure enough, a guy is running naked down the street and he's running right by a police car. And I was like, oh, this is going to I tell her, I said, oh, kid, this is going to be great. Let's see what the police do. And the police look at the guy. This is in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. And then they go. Because you know the guy doesn't have ID on him. And they don't want his naked butt in the police car. They look the other way. The Baltimore effect is when they start doing that en masse. He says policing is a dirty business. And, and in my mother's story, one of the stories I put the link in earlier. Uh, or did I? Let me check. She talks about having been. She was a cop for 10 years. She was a cop for 10 years. And so she talks about it. She goes, eventually, I got tired. I got tired of, uh, of throwing people in jail as a solution for societal problems. Baltimore effect is when the cops stop doing their jobs, which will disproportionately affect people who live in high crime areas. 
black and white. So, you know, um, what needs to happen, according to the Copios, there need to be some national standards in training, right? Whatever was enacted, he, he became a cop after Rodney King. So he doesn't know whether he can't confirm, deny the existence of whether these POSTs came into play after or in response to the Rodney King cops in, down in L.A., uh, but I, 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 and I haven't done the research because I just had the conversation. I need to check it out. I think it's the case. But, you know, there are cops who come from Philly who have tried to become cops in California. Can't do it. Can't do it. They can't meet the standards. So he advises national standards. Who would administrate this? I don't know. But clearly, like with highways and roads you could, and infrastructure issues, you could tie it into federal funding. You don't have to adhere to these standards. But if you do not adhere to these standards, then you have to forego all this money that we have. But make no mistakes. Make no mistakes. We, 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 uh, we need cops. Very specifically, I have an article coming up talking about um, uh, talking about um, when I when I tried to become a cop. I think it I, I, I said last Wednesday but the whole the George Floyd protests have pushed everything back. Maybe it'll happen this week. I think I was told it would happen this week. If you follow me on at Eugene S. Robinson on Twitter, you'll see the piece. So um, national standards, federal funding tied into adhering to these national standards. And the ACLU has come out with what he calls like a rule of eight, largely of some of the things that he, he says, he, oh, they're almost right, they agree with. So these cops, these cops in Minneapolis, the cop who I interviewed describes as disgusting and appalling. And he goes, the number one place where they, they failed to, was to fail to administer care. That was a phrase he kept using again and again. At failure to administer care. At minute seven, when you see the guy going blacking out, that's when you need to administer care. You fail to administer care. Because these guys, these guys, these guys uh, uh, are terrible. This was terrible. He's out and out murder. He says his police chief sent a letter internally, which I got a chance to peek at, says the same thing. They've made the job of good cops even, even much more hard. So like I said on last week's show, if you listen to it with your ears and not some other body part, on the part of the aggrieved communities of which I've been a part of, we should be able to complain about this forever. At the same time, it's not an excuse for non-performance. And at the same time, it's also something that has a wider purview, and that's of class. And the story I talk about, and this is helping me wind up, the story I'm talking about that I mentioned in the piece coming up. Uh, uh, what did I I don't Or Maybe it was a piece I've already done about where the cops, two cops pull me over on a lonely, deserted Oklahoma, Oklahoma panhandle road, creeping up on the car with uh, guns drawn. I'm sitting, I'm driving shirtless on the, on the fight book tour. Tap on the window with a gun. I roll the window down. They say, can I see your driver's license and registration? And I say, certainly. And they relax. They relax. 
One word out of my mouth, they holster their guns, and they say, oh, yeah, you were doing 77, 75, just slow down, and they let me go. Actually, no, they write me a warning ticket, so I have it as proof. Again, they were expected 50 cent, and they got Obama. Now, let me explain something to you about the history of, of, of minorities in America. We talked about this three shows back. Minorities in America have been able to integrate into society at large for a, a variety of different reasons, but usually because, uh, usually because their first entree into the wider majority society has been servile. Asians came to work on the trains. They ran cleaners in the old days. Um, they were essentially, if you were a white person in 1925, pre-World War II, your exposure, Asians didn't become dangerous until war, World War II, and, and the majority white population flipped out and threw them into concentration camps at, during World War II. But prior to that, they were mostly survived. They were gardeners. Jeff, look at old uh, Robert Towns movie with Jack Nicholson, uh, 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 Chinatown. Mexicans and Latinos, you know, they, they replaced the Japanese left to become gardeners, Asian, Asian restaurants, Mexican restaurants. Can I help you? Buenos dias. Would you like some chips with that? People are like, I had a... Then MS-13, I'm going to interview some cats from MS-13 next week. MS-13 and leaving dead bodies all over the roads in Texas. And people flipped out. I start talking. They didn't throw them in the concentration camps, but they're building walls and trying to throw everybody out of the country. If you go back to African Americans during the Al Jolson story, see cyclical, it all ties around. Dude, man, I know, dude, man. Al Jolson story. If you look at media portrayals of African American folks, Hollywood generated media portrayals of African American folks from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, they were porters, waiters, butlers, or in the cases of the deepest, darkest Africa, savages. But because they were way over there, they weren't frightening. If you interviewed Pygmy Markham, you interviewed a lot of these black performers, they sounded like me. As soon as they left the South, they didn't want to sound like they were still from the South. It was pejorative. I grew up in a household where describing somebody as country was pejorative. They sounded like me. What happened? People, you can watch any video. People from the 50s, African-American folks from the 50s, they sound like me. What happened? The 60s happened. And suddenly, the dissonance was too much. Like Martin Luther King, the peaceful warrior, the guys kill him, the dogs, Bull Connor, people attacking on the streets. And people were like, all of this trying to integrate, all this trying to assimilate is, is causing us to go crazy. It's not, there's no reality to it. So fuck it, we're going to keep it real. Which Neil Brennan touches on as well. Keep it real. So people didn't try to lose their Southern accents anymore. In fact, if you didn't, if you had lost your Southern accent, like every single person in my family going back to the 1880s, all sound like me. You were accused of talking white. Wholesale rejection, because clearly if the standards, are, if I'm walking across a bridge and pieces are dropping off like mad, I got, I got to get off that bridge. I need another bridge. I got to change my aspirations. So we had the Black Panthers and then from the servile thing 
uh, where people were largely comfortable with African-American folks, other, other groups might, you know, Asians became you know, doctors, engineers, and they were non-threatening, and they continue to be non-threatening, and they people felt bad about what happened with the Manzanara, you know, the concentration camps in, in California, and they're just taking away their homes, and uh, they, they integrated into society. You know, uh, uh, Latinos, again, with MS-13, the various gangs have made people kind of nervous again, but generally they had made a nice kind of entree, you know, you got George Lopez, you got... You know, <laughs> TV's your pretty prince. You know, so they they kind of they they kind of have you, you know, but we built African Americans have built a whole stock and trade on on playing with some of the caricatures, right? I mean, that's what gangster hip hop is about. And there've been people like on the other side of the ga- of the American gangster thing. There've been people who have opposed hip hop on the basis of you know you know it's a fiction. I know it's a fiction. We know Dr. Dre is not sending his kids to school in, in Compton anymore. But it's made him a billionaire. Is he serving the community? Is he not serving the community? Is he serving a community in California that's never seen a black middle class? Keep in mind, Dr. Dre is not part of that black middle class. He's a billionaire. He and I don't live in the same neighborhood. And unless something magical happens for me, we're not going to live in the same neighborhood. Where's the black middle class? Working black professionals like me. Don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe the old lady next door here. She's African-American. You know, I got some Samoans next door here and across the street. It's a contractor. I don't know what they do here. Gardener over here. So... It, the degree to which Americans, which African, African-Americans, not West Indians, who understand the, the caste system, much like Trevor Noah and his friends from South Africa, and have been able to work in, inside that system and succeed, which is why they always confuse me for... African-Americans have routinely been telling people, the guy is turned into a werewolf and nobody sees it, and it'll make you crazy. You know, um, so uh, I, I mean, we keep going around and around on this race thing. We keep going around and around on it. And it's boring because as soon as you say something too complicated, people start to tune out. And much like the Internet fighting, they just default to Internet fighting. They just default to it. That well, yeah, yeah, you're a piece of shit. Oh, you don't know, and then everybody is back to the fighting, and uh, you know, um, I mean, um, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't reading the comments now. <laughs> That's very funny. You can't demonize a whole drug circuit just because of a few bad apples. Um, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I honestly believe, I honestly believe, okay, get your marks, get set. Hey, before we go, can I talk to you a little bit about race? Go. Boom. And next thing you know, black folks are staying at the starting line. But, but this guy, and the guys, how'd that guy become a billionaire?
And, and, and listen, the looting, let me tell you something about the South Bronx. Well, you shouldn't, Genghis, you shouldn't give people who are on the street a hard time about making it about race. They're really seeing the wolf man out there. They're really seeing the werewolf. I'm seeing it. I didn't see it before I moved to California, but I see it once I'm in California. There were huge protests all across America today, attended by uh, 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 not Asian provocateurs, you know, uh, uh, dressed up as 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 uh, as uh, uh, blah, 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 um, dressed up as as uh, Antifa guys. But the rea- the dirty reality of it, and I can't even get into this in this show without going way over time is the numbers of buildings that were burned up in the, in the South Bronx for insurance gains. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, in our neck of the woods, let me see, I, in our neck of the woods, I've got it on good authority that at least two, two doesn't make an anecdote that means shit. But at least two people have used protest to damage your own businesses to collect on the insurance. Not only do they collect on the insurance, but they also don't have to pay rent because technically they can't open a business, pandemic or not, with a damaged business. So they don't pay the rent for a couple of months. They get insurance to cover the repairs. And believe me, you know, insurance fraud is, is not cool. But if you consider how much insurance you've paid and how often you've used it, it's understandable. Right, it's understandable. Oh man, I I I uh, I've been I'm back on the chemicals. Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, chemicals. I'm on comments. Sorry. So um, so in other words, my daughters on the streets. It's okay that they've taken that first step and understood it as as racial. The cop says, and I I read you what the cop said. The cop said. Are racist cops a problem? Sure. Or he's a white cop, by the way. Sure. Are racist cops the problem? Nope. That's pretty fucking nuanced and pretty genius. Pretty nuanced. So uh, today there have been there have been uh, um, a, 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 a very few reports of actually businesses burning. People have realized it is damaging the cause, especially since Trump took peaceful demonstrators and tear gassed them so he could stand with a Bible that he. What is that book over there? Bible? What is what's in there? Is that like a phone book? Phone book that God wrote? That's craziness. It's fake. Yeah, people don't want to see shades of nuance. But listen, race, class, power, that's it. Race, class, power. And if you got power up here, you you want class over here and race over here. So you can go micro on it and can say, oh, they burned down, they they robbed the target. You know, there's a guy who put out put out a book in LA called Rootin' Tootin' Lootin'. 
after in 1992. And that book was about, I told you in the last show again, some of these guys like, uh, dude, man, not listening. Yeah. And, and he said, guy's first name, last initial, what he stole, its value, and its value to the guy. Jose M, 36, 20 boxes of Pampers. Jose M has no kids. Value to him, zero. Just like people be, become traders, they say, what do people become traders? Aldrich Ames, what? These were essentially fundamentally disgruntled employees. It wasn't about the money necessarily. It wasn't about this. They felt under, underappreciated and they wanted somebody who made them feel special. That's it. Nothing fancier. Not ideologically driven. You know, Martin Luther King, what was it that he said that the riots are the voices of the unheard? Well, you're hearing now. Somebody said that they, uh, somebody I was talking to said they saw a woman run into, um, um, well, you know, if you want to defend Trump, I'm all ears, man. I really am all ears. We could start with the Lysol, ejecting the Lysol. And injecting injecting Clorox, we can uh, start with him tear gassing peaceful protesters in front of a church, so he could stand in front of it with a photo op waving a Bible. We could talk about Perry's letter. We could talk about Mattis's letter. We could talk about William, uh, Powell today, a former Secretary of State under Reagan and Bush, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, who came out and, and and shit on Trump. You know, at a certain point, a million Elvis fans can't be wrong, man. And, and Powell, military guy that he is, gave it to him straight up. He goes, he's a liar. He's a liar. That is definable. That is measurable. That is measurable. Bunker, bunker boy. Guy who had bone spurs to keep him out of the military is going to, he pulled the military back. <laughs> I lived through Kent State. And I actually have been the Kent State subscript to it. Hey, bro, uh, injecting Lysol, injecting. It wasn't me who said that. It wasn't me who said that. <laughs> it was the whiner in chief who said that. Get light somehow in the body. I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, defend them all you like, man. Defender, if I told you, if I didn't attribute that shit to him and told you to do some of that stuff, you would stop being my friend. <laughs> no, 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 really, man. You, you take some Lysol. I'll mail you some syringes. You take some Lysol. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to believe a liar or a liar liar. <laughs> 88 military guys came out and signed this letter. A Republican, Murkowski from Alaska, came out and said, I think he's wandering away from the Constitution, and he immediately shit on her. The chickens are coming home to roost. Lady G, Lindsey Graham, who uh, finally got ganged up on by all the rent boys he's been having sex with, has been silent. Mitch McConnell has been silent. Is Genghis the only one who's going to stand with Trump? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, okay, man. But he mentioned Lysol, all right? You know, getting. I mean, why doesn't he let Fauci talk? I mean, this is this is weirdly, dangerously narcissistic, forever and ever deeply held weirdness, and you know, um, exactly. And it's not going to stop here. It's not going to stop here. George W. Bush, who I hated. Okay, yeah, he's Jeb's brother. Okay, we could dismiss that out of hand. Perry, yeah, you could dismiss that out of hand. At a certain point, all the military, the Marines, the U.S. Marines have issued a statement. <laughs> the U.S. Marines, I mean, <laughs> what? what? You know, hey, man, hey. Everybody's yelling, there's a fire in this building. You can stay in that building if you want. But I think you need to maybe stand away from the flames. Stand away from the flames. Yeah. So anyway, here we go. I've gone, I've gone a little bit, I've gone a little bit over, a lot over. And, and uh <laughs> really, he did it. Okay. All right, he didn't say it. And besides which, if he said it, he didn't mean it. Besides which, if he meant it, you misinterpreted. Besides which, if you misinterpreted, it's because you're fake. <laughs> I just made that up. I just made that up. And the numbers of people who have been gargling with bleach and injected, it, it, ingesting hydrochloroquine and, and those people, they just made it up too. <laughs> it's all fake. I mean, come on, gangas. You, you really seriously think that people started taking fish tank cleaner? Because they just popped in their heads? <laughs> Yo, man, you're down here in the weeds. You're down here in the weeds. This shit is macro. Like I said, power, class, race. It, up here, you're being toyed with by the hands that hold the strings. Trump is a fucking lunatic, bro. He's a, like, straight-up lunatic. I don't even say you have to vote Democrat. Don't vote Democrat if you don't want to. But this guy has been a piece of shit from my days in New York. <laughs> I see it ended. But I saw, I saw him, his mouth move. I saw his mouth move when he's sitting next to Burke. I saw him say it. <laughs> That's it. That's the thing. It's in tennis, it's an unforced error. Trump makes unforced errors because he's character bound and his character is 200 pounds, 220 pounds. Of human shit. Sorry, I, uh, 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 I could go on and on. I've known about this guy since the seventies. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that, man. I'm not saying it. It's not a question of smartness. I just, I don't. I mean, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he. Oh God! Again, race, class, power. His, his. Who was it who said it best? Howard Stern said it best. And what I've said before, he wouldn't spend five minutes with people he perceives to be working class unless they're on the other side of a podium wearing a red hat. not have anything to do with it. And the endless frustration of him is that the people that he sees as high class don't want to have anything to do with him. It creates a, a dissonance. And dissonance, as we've discussed the entire show, can make you crazy. So that's it. That's the end. That's the end. And, uh, and, uh, um, I, I, I understand. I look. I got. I have ex in laws who all were all hardcore, hardcore anti Obama, hardcore Republicans, 
but they have they espouse country values. Straight talking, upstanding. They're all ranchers, Nevada ranchers. Um, no, 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 no. You're missing the point, man. Don't get your feelings hurt, Gangas. It's not about that. They're upstanding people. You know, straight talking. And this this shtick, this they 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 shoulder their burdens without complaint. This crying, whining, uh, uh, casino owner stuff has. I tried to get them to appear on a History Channel town hall. I tried to get them to appear on a, and they and they wouldn't do it. They just can't. It's like I, they just can't. And they'll vote Republican all day long. They've never voted for a Democrat, ever. But they can't swallow it. And they're reading The Hill, and they're reading Drudge, and they're reading all the right wing, they're reading, you know, the, the, Donald, the real Donald Trump, Reddit, reading all that stuff. Yeah, it's because I, I, I care. I think, a pre look, I can track how well I've done based on who the president is. And you got to believe me. I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't believe it. I believe that you would be fundamentally better off. They got the 22% corporate tax rate, but that you will be fundamentally better off if we do not spend another four years the way we've spent these last four years. I think in your heart of hearts, everybody can feel that. But anyway, we're done. I've done it's a minute, hour and 40 minutes. Sorry, I went over. A dude man took up too much of my time. He, he hasn't DM'd me about wanting to appear on the show. So he's just content to hang out in the bleachers and, 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 and scream. Monday afternoon, around noon, Care Don't Care comes out. It's me and Steph Haynes and John Nash. John Nash has got some big bombs to drop coming up this week about uh, the, F, uh, uh, the, the UFC and uh, financing as well as uh, the BD. Um, uh, with the uh, um, the pay structure and and uh, and, uh, and and uh, and so on. I also uh, because things are not normal and we're all locked down. Um, um, we uh, the wife and I uh, we we can't have a normal baby shower. So I'm gonna post a link in the comments for we're gonna have like a virtual baby shower. And she was like, do you want to share it with the people who listen to your show? I go, not enough people listen to the show, so it's weird. It's like you guys um, uh, are like fucking family. So I'll post our, 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 um, our, baby, our baby shower registry if you want to uh, uh, participate in outfitting um, uh, the baby Robinson. Uh, she, she would appreciate it because it, it is a daughter. So, um, but Monday, Monday at noon, Care Don't Care comes out, me, uh, John, John Nash and Steph, uh, John Nash and I tied this week for first place, but he's got some bombs to drop about the UFC, ESPN and financing. Um, on Tuesday night, we have, if the shoes fit, if you pay a dollar through Patreon, I guess you get to see the second half of, uh, the hip hop evolution where we discuss gangster hip hop. That would be Kid Nate, Alexi, and myself. Um, and then later on, if you follow me at Eugene S. Robinson, I'll tweet out the pieces that I've been busting my ass to write about this woman doctor who I think should win a Pulitzer Prize and, and maybe the cop piece and some other stuff. Um, if you're um, Mr. Sleep 3 on Instagram, keep in mind it's not for everybody. 
If you don't feel like you can be civil to my kids, don't even bother showing up. So anyway, it's a long show. Yeah, dude, man, molester uncle. I, I'm a chest of the molester. I'm inviting him in the show, and he just would rather scream from the bleachers. You can actually participate in the show, and I want to do a show. Alexi is walking me slowly. Archer, too, walking me slowly through Ecamm. We're going to get that kicked in. So sorry, it's a long show. Thanks for listening. This was 117. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. Sorry about the eye. I, I can still see. It's time for my eye drops right about now. But thanks for listening. And uh, why don't you guys do me a favor and all live until next Sunday. And we'll see you then. Until then, look what you made me do! Hey!